All right, it's time to move. I'm just thrilled that we have mask fans out there who are still, still mask fans. I sort of thought that the whole thing would, would die a quiet, quiet death as you guys grew up. But I'm amazed to find that there's so many. You know, something like mask was magical, just magical. And it just doesn't happen all the time. Vanessa, in my mind, drives her own life. One day she may get in an argument with Miles Mayhem and say, up your nose, I'm out of here. Computer, scan files. Select mask agents best suited for this mission. Jason Gross, radio broadcaster, retro gamer, blogger, mask movie co-writer, vehicle codename 6000. 80s Guru Skills Critical, Wyatt Bloom, Broadcast Technician, DJ, Critic, Mask Movie Co-Writer, Vehicle Codename Phoenix, 80s Analysis Vital. Personnel approved. Assemble Mobile Armored Strike Command. Welcome, faithful MaskCast listeners, to MaskCast number 53, and a special treat for you, veering off of the episode reviews for a minute to get another voice actor actually two actors on the line tonight it was such a great experience Wyatt I, I'm just sure not what to say at this point <laughs> right and and that's what uh, we said it in the interview and even back on Doug's where you know 30 years ago when we were 9 or 10 we wouldn't have even fathomed being able to talk to any of the voice actors and now, fast forward, um, we've been able to talk to Doug. We've actually now been able to meet with Doug and then sit with him on a panel at RetroCon 2015. And now, thanks to your salesman-like approach, <laughs> we've now not got one, but two in one interview, uh, Brennan McCain and uh, Sharon Noble. And uh, granted, we knew that they were a couple, but... Uh, it was a real surprise. It was, it was a pleasant surprise to be able to talk to both of them. They took their turns, uh, and basically we honored their time because uh, Brennan had something afterwards, so he basically took the mic first, uh-huh. and then it went on to Sharon, which, uh, oh man, it was it was a treat really for both of them. Yeah, and if you you know if you've been on our Facebook page, you've seen Sharon chime in from a time or two comment she'll like some posts the same with some of the other voice actors like i've seen mark halloran chime in on a few things and on some of the mask facebook pages and such and you know it it just started from there it was knowing that you know doug was on facebook reaching out to him and the same with sharon uh i just sent her a quick message and a, a facebook friend request hey this is you know jason from agents of mask and you know we host this podcast and it just kind of went from there uh she said she'd love to do it and i hadn't heard from her in a while and then all of a sudden uh, i get a message just a couple days ago and she said uh here's 
here's some uh, available times and her being on the west coast and us on the east coast we tried to <laughs> find a happy medium in there to to meet with her and then after we after i connected on skype she said oh and by the way brendan will be available to uh, chat some as well so I was like, "Wow, we get uh, we get Miles Mayhem and Vanessa in one uh, one podcast." Right. So it was it's been a real treat um, talking to her, talking to Brennan, and just being able to get more insight into the show, uh, how it was produced, um, the really the lifelong friendships that were made by the actors through the show. Right, and they're still friends to to this day where they're going out for, as uh, Brennan said, for tea, or they'll ha- come over for Thanksgiving dinners. Uh, it's it's fascinating that they've kept that connection, and it did start with Mask. We joke about it, you know, how the community kind of has evolved, exploded, I would say, of late within the last uh, five years, maybe more. Mm-hmm. But it it was still a connection with them, these voice actors who sat in a studio, and you'll hear the story from uh, Sharon, I think mostly, how they sat around and would hear their lines and then be joking around inside the headsets. <laughs> it was just, it, and now they're they're still spitting out lines to this day, uh, whenever they they meet, and you'll yeah. hear that on this recording, this podcast. And it's uh, like we've both indicated, uh, especially on this one, it's just really surreal and humbling that we were able to get to talk with our voice actors, the characters, the people that that voiced our our favorite characters from from Mask. Um, I'm gonna be beaming for another freaking. Uh, <laughs> like I was, I'm still kind of on the the beam from uh, RetroCon, uh, so I don't. Well, I found it a very telling experience too, just how open she was to give tips about writing. Yeah, uh, she pretty much gave us a a full course, a college lecture yeah. on writing novels, just to to sit down and to take the time to do that. And you can tell she's passionate about it, passionate about her work in general. But hearing from us and the, the novice writers that we are and, and to be able to give tips to us and to whoever's listening, I, I thought that was uh, just really cool. And like you said, I mean, yeah, we're, we're on an all time high here, all time mask high <laughs> in the last couple of months meeting Doug and now virtually meeting Sharon and Brendan. So we, Thank, uh, obviously, them for, for taking the time. Uh, we hope you guys will uh, enjoy the interview. Hopefully, we'll get uh, more of the cast uh, before too long. And we'll see uh, see if we can get you some more uh, insight into the show. But uh, it was a real treat. They both essentially talked our ears off uh, without much direction. We had a, a laundry list of questions to ask, and we did get to some uh, listener questions that we sent out with the newsletter that uh, for the people that replied back to uh, to ask Sharon. We didn't know that Brendan was going to be also uh, participating at the time, so we didn't uh, didn't say anything about uh, him tagging along in the newsletter. But it was just a just a real fun experience, 
and we we really hope you guys will enjoy it. So shall we uh, give them what they came for? Yes, and I want to echo it one last time before we send it off. Thank you very much, Brennan. Thank you very much, Sharon, for taking the time out of your schedules to sit down with us virtually anyway and allow us to start the MassCast. Hello, listeners. This is Jason, and on the line with me is my pal, Wyatt. How are you doing tonight, Wyatt? I'm swell. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. We have a uh, very special surprise tonight for everybody that listens to MassCast. Um, we are very pleased to welcome a television and film and voice actor. Uh, our listeners will know him as the ruthless leader of Venom, Miles Mayhem, and he also portrayed... Venom Agent Floyd Malloy, and Mask Agents Alex Sector, Jacques Lafleur, and Nevada Rushmore on the Mask Animated Series. Please welcome to MaskCast, Brendan McCain. How are you tonight, sir? Well, I'm just fine. Uh, I don't know who, uh, who who's talking at the moment, whether it's Alex or Miles or <laughs> Floyd. Several several guests are on the line tonight. The party line. It's very <laughs> schizophrenic. Right. <laughs> well, we uh, certainly appreciate you joining us and uh, uh, your lovely wife a little bit later on. But uh, we're very grateful for you taking the time to answer a few of our questions. And uh, we actually have some listener questions as well that were sent in. Uh, a few of those. But uh, I guess um, if you would just tell us. Uh, a little bit about where you're from and how you got into to acting and and so forth. Well, uh, I'm happy to answer that question, uh, but you have to understand that's probably the most dangerous question you can <laughs> ask, uh, because if I start with, well, it all started in a small village, you know that you're in trouble, right? Uh, <laughs> but to truncate it for you. Uh, I'm from Canada, and um, I uh, became an actor at 19. I worked in the theater in Canada, in uh, Victoria, British Columbia, Vancouver, Toronto, uh, Calgary, um, uh, doing all sorts of uh, different styles of theater, including musicals, dramas, uh, Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. all the rest of it. And uh, I guess the only really interesting part, uh, the part that I would find interesting, is that I always wanted to be an American. And um, as it happened in one of the productions of plays I was doing in Canada, uh, so was Sharon Noble, uh, my wife. And as it happens, she was an American. And so I thought, there's my opportunity. (laughs) and it's not that I loved her it's that she was American she carried American (laughs) papers and um, well I do I did uh, grow fond of her over time Uh, so uh, we got together and uh, we uh, we both returned or she returned to the United States and I followed and I guess the you know the funnest is I don't know if that's a word Um, The funnest part of this story is that both Sharon and I, we were, we had arrived in California. We were on a beach in Santa Monica. I think it was November 
And of course, for Californians, that's really cold. But for us, it was extremely warm. <laughs> and as it happened, we were with some other friends who were also actors. And one of them said, oh, by the way, there's this company and they're looking for Canadian actors to do voiceover work. And um, our ears uh, perked up and uh, we got the name of that person. And um, we went and met with these people. And they were, of course, Deke Enterprises. And their right. needs were very, very specific. They needed Canadian actors who were members of the Canadian Union, who were not members of the American Union. And, of course, most Americans wouldn't fit that profile. Right. So, fortunately for us, we did. And, um, and that's how we came into contact uh, with Deke Enterprises. And uh, we, you know, of course, auditioned several times and uh, were very fortunate in being chosen. And, uh, um, I mean, the great thing for Sharon and I uh, was that it's a double header. We were married. So all the money goes into one bank account. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the short, uh, truncated version of how we got from the beginning of uh, uh, desire to be actors to arriving at Deke's doorstep. That's great. Yeah. Did it start? I guess once you hit California, did you start with Mask, or was there a venture prior to that? No, we. Uh, there was no previous venture because we had been in California for two weeks. Uh, okay. For this to occur, this is what every child in Nebraska and the rest of the country dreams about, that they would come to the land of movie making and somehow find their way into the business. Now, of course, Sharon and I came with, with extensive resumes, um, but the, the other part of the story is, is magical because, in fact, we were here only for two weeks. We were having meetings with um, some of the uh, largest and most important agents in town, but they didn't direct us to this opportunity. Um, our our uh, uh, inadvertent uh, meeting on the beach in Santa Monica is what led us to Deke. Uh, so there was no previous work. I see. Was there what kind of um, was there an audition process, or was it like, hey, we we love what you're doing, or we, we well, um, we 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 first of all we met uh, with the with the producers. They made sure that we met all the criteria, in as much as we were. Canadians, we were belonged to the Canadian Union, and we did not belong to SAG. Right. Um, and of course, just parenthetically, we were virtually on on the uh, doorstep of joining SAG, and we held off <laughs> because of this opportunity. I so see. once that once that occurred, the audition process started, and. 
it's you know I, I have to confess I don't recall everything I I recall that we were given scripts uh, we were given some description of the characters, and I think, and Sharon can correct me, I, re I remember preparing for several days, um, because this was a massive opportunity, and uh, we were going to get one bite at the apple. So, I think I was preparing for Miles Mayhem. And, you know, I'm not a particularly large man. Uh, I'm also not tiny. Uh, but Miles Mayhem, as you well know, uh, has a very big presence, uh, a very bass voice. My natural voice is not particularly bass. Um, uh, you know, my voice has a, a certain lightness to it. And so I had to work very hard. To, to come up with some, some bass and some, some heavy weight, uh, which I did. Um, and, of course, Sharon is also doing this at the same time uh, it, with the various characters that she would be auditioning for. So after some substantial preparation, we went in. And as I recall... They didn't make any decision, and I believe I, I believe we had to come back and do it again. Um, what typically happens in circumstances like this, uh, I mean, this is a cartoon series, so everybody wants to be part of this. So I don't know exactly how many people were auditioning, but I know we were called back. And, and I recognized that was good. And um, then, lo and behold, word came down that not only was I chosen, but Sharon was chosen. I mean, the, the likelihood of that is uh, slim to none. Right. Uh, you know, the odds. So, uh, so there you are. And... And we really didn't know what that meant, except uh, we were going to do this cartoon series. But uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, you know, I think there was anxiety that it could end at any moment. Right. You know, uh, you go into your first uh, studio session and you do it, and uh, all the powers that be who are spending substantial, a substantial amount of money may not like you. <laughs> and so your, your happy Santa Monica Beach surprise could come to a thundering end right. uh, quickly. Uh, however, that was not the case, and uh, there we were two weeks into the country, um, and before we knew it, we were scheduling recording sessions um, and, uh, and doing the performances. That's pretty wild um, how quickly that happened like that. And I guess a, a follow-up question for me would be, how was the transition? Because this was your first voice acting job, correct? Well, in fairness to myself and to Sharon, uh -huh. our 
history in the theater was varied, wide and varied. So I had played all sorts of characters that yeah. were many times my age, and uh, and so I had a certain amount of experience, a certain a substantial amount of acting experience. So I was not nervous about acting, and I had a measurable, definable skill. That's not to say that they would like it. Um, um, so the new part of it was going into a studio and the, the, the uh, approach that Deke took, as I recall, is that we had the script and in the studio, just like you're, you are there with your headphone on, all the actors are on a soundstage, and there could be four or five of us, whatever it is, and we had the script, and we had a director. Uh, her name is Marsha Goodman. Um, and we would go through the script and do the voices, and she would direct us and make, you know, make suggestions, or, you know, corrections or slight change of direction. And what we didn't have, which is my point, is that we didn't have the visual. That is critical because it allowed us the freedom. Uh, oh, I think uh, Sharon's going to interrupt me. Yes, we did. Oh, we did. We did have the visual. We storyboards from Japan. Oh, storyboards. Mm -hmm. But oh, okay. storyboards, of course, are different than the animation playing yeah. in front of sure. you on a screen. Right. And when you have uh, you so you have a script and you, and and the line is um it's miles mayhem and he's saying um all right it's time to move <laughs> if you have the visual on the screen you have to match the the visuals mouth right. and that's a real skill uh, voice actors are to be admired because they, they can do this. Uh, you have to be able to do several things at once. I'm not particularly good at that. So it was very fortunate for me that we didn't have that approach. I don't know that I would have survived the series <laughs> if I had a... I could do the voice, I could do the acting, but to get the, the, you know, the lips in sync, everything in sync is is a real skill and if you you can't take 10 takes you know you have to they want it done in one take maybe two so i'm just saying it was fortunate for me sure i guess what i was getting at was like when we talked with doug um and he had somewhat of a stage background and how much just the reflection that you have to do to the audience helped him in his recording sessions and uh, you know, he did several characters as well, and I was, it was, it's obviously admirable when you can go from one character voice to the next without skipping a beat, you know, and obviously you did a few like that. I'm not sure if you had any of those, you know, within your recording session where you're having to do Miles Mayhem on, you know, and then immediately do like Alex, the, you know, the British uh, accent, you know, right after that and, and how much it, you know. That, that's, that is truly a skill. I, I definitely agree. Well, I was, I, many times, so everybody had to shift from one character to another. 
And uh, for me, probably the, the, the difficult part of the shift is that Miles Mayhem is very throaty. And Alex Sector is not. So you have to shift physically. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 the muscles the, that you use in your throat for Miles Mayhem, you have to let go of them. And then, uh, you know, you, you shift into Alex or, uh, um, you know, is somewhat, you know, professorial. Um, right. uh, and, and more gentler and gentler and kind, kinder. Uh, but yeah, all of the actors and uh, uh, Doug Stone in particular had a, a very good skill. Doug, Doug was very skilled. Uh, you've already really touched on it with the, uh, with the recording sessions, but what are, where was your, I guess, inspiration for the voices? Was there some kind of um, list or something that they'd like to hear for Alex or Miles, or did you just kind of, I'm going to try this for Miles and see if it sticks. If it doesn't work, then I'll try this other voice. Yeah, the answer is you have to make the decision. Uh, it, it's it's very interesting. Uh, I, I think that from a the general public's point of view, it wouldn't be something that you would anticipate, but what a producer a producer has a problem a producer has a character that character for the producer is a problem what the producer wants is a solution so you have to decide when you're the actor auditioning you have to bring the solution and to bring the solution you have to make choices so you can't be wishy-washy uh, because your performance is, if you're wishy-washy or not strong, your performance is going to reflect it. So you have to make hard decisions, throw it against the wall, and see if it sticks. Uh, you know, for me, looking at Miles Mayhem, if you look at the drawing, I mean, he's just, he's as thick as mud. He's as thick as wood. Um, so, you know, he certainly wasn't going to be up here. You know, I'll get you. No, you know, he, he was going to be aggressive, uh, um, throaty, uh, and and it was. Um, I was concerned. I mean, one, I wanted the role. Two, I was concerned about whether I could maintain it, because that kind of throatiness, if you don't handle it well, and you're in a studio doing that for eight hours you'll eventually lose your voice. Um, so I think my, you know, my background as an actor somewhat helped prevent that, uh, uh, that occurrence. Uh, but to answer your question, um, you make hard choices and you commit to it and pray it works. <laughs> and, and, you know, I will say, because this really further answers your question or expands on it, when we would go into the studio, we wouldn't, there would be several casual characters, characters that are only in that episode. Right. So we all, all of us, had to audition for those characters on the spot. Oh, wow. So, yes, you're playing Miles Mayhem uh, or, or Matt Tracker, but now there's this other character, and he, he comes from China, and 
you now have to come up with something. And we would all compete, and it was a generous competition, you know, because, you know, we all wanted, because if we got that character, we were paid more money. Mm. So there is a, you know, a natural uh, competition there, and, you know, sometimes I would be successful, sometimes I wouldn't. Uh, and they would have to, you know, the producers, uh, uh, Marsha Goodman in particular, uh, would have to make the choices right there. Okay, you're going to play, uh, you know, Chow Wee Lu, um, Doug Stone. Uh, uh, and then he's, that's what he's going to do. He's going to do it. He's going to play that character. And that happened all the time. I thought it was pretty fascinating when we talked with Doug that he actually portrayed uh your brother in the later episodes maximus mayhem uh in that he was able to you know to do that throatiness on there as well and you know like uh as far as sharon goes it seems like she pretty much had all of the ladies throughout the whole series now even if it wasn't one of the main characters if there was a a doctor or, or somebody within that episode uh, you know, it was it was her. So well, yeah, that's, that's said, pretty amazing. You know, she was the only one in the room that wore a bra, um, <laughs> so she had a, a natural advantage, um, and also, uh, you know, she had the skill, so she could. Sure, sure. Well, uh, I guess tell us a little bit more, kind of moving past mask and. Have you done more acting past then, or your uh, your IMDb page isn't really giving? Uh, <laughs> you have the mysterious edge there, like uh, like Miles. Well, I, but um, I, I think uh, I think mysterious is is very kind. <laughs> um, uh, first of all, uh, acting is a, a big a big career, and sure. um, I had been doing it for some. I guess I, I'm not sure. Uh, 30 years by the time we came here. <laughs> yes, I did other stuff. You know, I did uh, uh, some television, uh, Star Trek, Hunter. Uh, but the... the Melrose Place. Uh, thank you, Bobo. Uh, Melrose Place. Um, the truth is that, you know, there are too many actors and not enough parts. And at some point, I decided that... I didn't want to keep on uh, continue chasing it, so I really terminated my acting career, uh, and I, I went into real estate, and then I went to law school, and uh, am now waiting uh, results for the California bar, uh, so that oh, I wow. could uh, function as an attorney. Uh, so I, I guess what I would say is. It's not that I, I wouldn't like to act. Uh, they're simply, you spend too much time getting the work and not enough time doing the work. Uh, you know, something like Mask was magical, just magical. And it just doesn't happen all the time. Uh, uh, but I'm not unhappy with that. You know, I'm, uh, I like what I do. And so... The, so I, I still go out periodically. Uh, I go out for commercials. Uh, and I, I, I have to confess, uh, you know, Sharon uh, keeps on jabbing me in the ribs and saying, you know, why don't you go out and just go out and audition for stuff. 
and I must say that I'm reconsidering going back out and, and auditioning. Well, it'd be great to see you in, in whatever's up and coming, whether it's a commercial or uh, a feature on a TV show, or who knows, it might be the next uh, NCIS agent. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Uh, what led you into that career of uh, to get into to law? I mean, what I guess, unless you really liked uh, Miles Mayhem and wanted to be uh, a prosecutor or something. <laughs> no, it's one of those. Uh, you, you, you know, they. I guess. Uh, well, we all have. I guess deeply personal desires, and uh, for whatever reason, as a young fellow. Um, I thought that I would like to to be a lawyer, and I I wanted to be a lawyer because it was the only place that I could find where the buck stops. You know, people have problems in their lives, they have conflicts, and uh, they do all sorts of things that either don't resolve those conflicts or 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 cause damage to other people. Uh, the law uh, is this great forum where if you can bring people into its arms, um, it resolves their problems probably as best as they could be resolved. And it allows people, once they find a resolution, uh, to move on. So uh, I, I know that probably sounds, I'm not quite sure what it sounds like. Uh, but but that's what it is, is that the law has, it does great, can do great justice and, and really help people move on with their lives and punish those that um, interfere with other people's lives. That's actually a good way of putting it, because I know we typically see what we see on, on TV, whatever it is. And I'm, I'm even talking what we see in reality, the news media and so forth. And you... Um, I like your perspective a lot better than what we shallowly see um, from what the news media kind of throws at us rather than sitting in the actual courtroom and hearing all the actual proceedings going on where you have a little more of a defined um, answer, I guess. Yes. It, yeah, I understand what you're saying. And, of course, the you know, the news media's job is one it's as much entertainment as anything else. And of course, if you actually go into a courtroom, you know, uh, people would be snoring uh, with boredom uh, uh, in short order. Uh, but, but what you do see, if, if it's a, you know, if it's an interest that you might have, you watch, you, you watch the judge control everything. And the judge, the judge has massive power and the judge listens to people every day of his life. He hears people lie, and he hears people tell the truth. And his job is to get this case resolved, and he does so. You know, um, uh, he does so by, by making orders that people uh, uh, must comply with, uh, and if they don't, they, they face um, uh, the wrath of the court. Uh, so it's a it's a it's it's a function. It's a it's a social function in our society that that provides guidance and 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 closure for people. Well, that's great. Um, 
we certainly, you know, won't hold anything against you for, you know, choosing another career. I know just, like I said, when we talk with Doug, it's, it's such a hard life. You're working, uh, you know, 16 hours a day or even more. Uh, if you're, if you're lucky, you know, uh, especially with the voice acting and I know Doug has made a career of it and it's amazing, you know, the laundry list of shows and video games and everything that he's been on. But, you know, we obviously, here we are a couple of almost 40 year old kids talking, (laughs) talking about a show, you know, that we, we kind of cherished and loved and still do to this day. So, you know, well, you know, I, I, we, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that's fine. I just wanted to comment on that. One of the things that we don't, we as actors, um, don't recognize at the time is that this, in fact, does have an impact on people. And there are these children out there uh, that this is part, this is part of their architecture. Uh, and, and, you know, it's like, uh, I'm not sure how old you are, but, you, you know, someday you, you, you'll go back to the house that you were born in uh, and look at it and, and, and you'll say, oh, my God, somebody's living in my house. Um, <laughs> I've actually done that. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> shocking. Uh, would you please get out of my house? You're in my bedroom. Um, uh, but, it, but the mask and other shows have the same impact because they become part of your psyche, you know, and those are your, your, your memories are part of who you are. And uh, so all I'm saying is, you know, I I didn't appreciate at the time this impacts people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I I was going to say, we can attest that uh, I'm nearing 40 uh, with Jason trailing behind me at 39. So, (laughs) Oh, being that this is the 30th year, you can kind of do the math of how old we were when we watched Mask right. for first time. And uh, right. it's, it is part of the psyche to some degree. In fact, that's what's kind of projected us here now doing these little podcasts and so forth. Um, we started this venture out trying to see if we could do a movie script. And it kind of went from movie script idea to let's just be a community because there didn't seem to be much of a mask following like there might be for people that liked Transformers or whatever it was in the 80s and um, Jason and I never would have fathomed to be able to one have podcasts or have such a following that we do uh, on top of now being able to, to sit here on Skype and visit with the arch enemy of us Miles Mayhem, uh, as well as eventually your lovely wife, Sharon. Uh, we've joked, and Jason and I have joked that calling her the first lady of Mask. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> You're kind of the first family of Mask, really. Really, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we had the awesome opportunity uh, just back in September. We went up to uh, this convention in Philadelphia, RetroCon, and Doug Stone actually flew over and was there. We got to meet him. And we held a little panel for, and, you know, it was just surreal almost to, you know, to kind of be there and, and be there essentially for mask. And, you know, we've been hearing over the last year or so that maybe finally Hasbro is going to try to 
to do a comeback or something like that, a new series or a new toy line or something. Uh, I guess, what's your thoughts on that? Do you uh, do you ever think about uh, another reiteration of Mask and and all of that? Well, let me say two things. It's always terrible to ask me a question because I always have this long answer. Um, <laughs> uh, you, something that you 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 allude to uh, uh-huh. is that you know here we are, and the key word here is here we are. Mm-hmm. That what you what you guys are doing and and a a product of all of this you know Sharon I the uh, Doug Stone everybody you is that you have this community and it's really important um, in the world Um, you know the world is made up of community Um, the world is made up of we and the world is only worth living in if it's we the world is not worth living in if it's just me. Um, so that's a product of, uh, you know, what you guys are doing and, and this technology that allows this community to flourish. I'm sure I'd love to do it if they, they came <laughs> up with another one. I'll be there at 8 a.m. Um, it would be delightful. That's great. Um... I guess we'll leave you maybe with uh, one more parting question because I know, uh, like Sharon said, you, you have some other things to do. We won't keep you all online, and we want to, of course, talk to her as well. Of but uh, uh, tell us a little bit about, I guess, the relationships with the other actors. If you've been able to keep up with with Doug and with Mark and uh, Graham over the years, and have you have you connected still? Yes, we, I mean we we retained uh, a relationship. Um, uh, with Doug, uh, with Mark, uh, I think we had tea with Mark, oh, maybe six months ago. Um, uh, Graham McKenna, I believe he, he moved to New York, uh, but we did see him, you know, periodically, but the truth is we haven't seen him, uh, for several years. Uh, but we, you know, we do continue uh, to see Doug, you know, we'll have, uh, uh, he'll come over for uh, dinner, Thanksgiving or something, and uh, and Mark also. Uh, so, uh, y- you know, yes, we, we um, y- you know, we're all busy, as you guys understand, you know, you're busy with your everyday life. Um, uh, you know, I go to an office every day, and uh, sure. uh, so... Um, we do too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, we don't see a lot of each other, but we do care about each other. Um, you know, I consider Doug a, a very close personal friend, uh, and Mark. Um, so you you know that relationship uh, endures. It just seemed from when we talked with Doug and just looking at uh, essentially your resume and all the actors resume that mask was kind of the first big thing as far as uh, animation or, or television for all of you. And it just seemed like it's made a lasting impression on everybody and kind of kept you together. I guess that's what I was alluding to uh, kind of a loaded question, but <laughs> um, it, it just has seemed that way. And it just seems like it was a genuine moment for all of you at that point for, something like that to 
quote unquote blow up, you know, at the time in your careers. Absolutely. I mean, it was a shared opportunity and all of us understood the size of the opportunity. So, I mean, we were, you know, I have to say in all the recordings, all the sessions, there was never, not one moment of conflict. Um, wow. You know, everybody worked hard. People were not being nasty or, or you know, manipulating things behind the scenes to, to get more opportunity than the others. Uh, so in that sense, it, 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 it was, it was, it, it had a family sense, you know, and, and, and I think the, the substance of, of that relationship uh, during the recording of the series is what, why we are still friends today. That's great. Uh, it's awesome. Okay, I guess um, I should uh, recede and, um, <laughs> and let uh, Sharon. But uh, Miles Mayhem never surrenders, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you put me in a bit of a quandary. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, we have the advantage of going, we, we, we've sequentially gone through the, the series, so we know that uh, there was always some conflict between Vanessa Warfield and Miles Mayhem. Uh, in the series, so <laughs> well, we won't we won't let you battle it out on the air or anything. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, no, I'm no, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm I have to stop. I'm going to. Okay. I'm about to reveal things. Right? Uh, never say what you can't take back. Uh, uh, okay. Well, okay. We, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Well, it's been a pleasure, and, and I thank you, and I'm delighted with what you're doing. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I'll go get the boss. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Greetings. Hi, Sharon. <laughs> How you doing? So, did he give you all the secrets? Do I have anything left to tell you? Well, we got his side of the story, so I guess now it's your turn. <laughs> be very different. There he is. Now I've got the, got you both. Okay, I'm ready when you are. We've titled you really the uh, the first lady of mask. I, I'm the finished. only I'm the only lady of mask, so <laughs> I have to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did uh, I did not only the the I did, I did all the female characters. So that was every single woman and right. every child Except for Scott, I did every child, male, female, whatever. And I did, I did all the animals who spoke. I did the animals. I even did the cuckoo clock in one episode. <laughs> wow. That one down. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. if, it's, if it speaks and it's not one of the guys, it's, it's me. <laughs> well, we heard, uh, we, we heard Brennan's side of the story of how you guys met and got into acting what's uh, what's your side of it oh how we met he brendan and i yes or how ah well he told you we met doing a play right yes yes we did <laughs> yes and uh, uh in that play i've told him this many times i was impressed with his acting uh i remember thinking to myself oh my god there's another actor in this play 
because there are a lot of people who work as actors who really don't have any depth. You know, they just they just sort of run over the top. And um, my feeling is you need to plumb the depths. You need to get into it and, and, and shape it and then present something finished, a finished product to your audience. And there are so many actors, if you will, who don't bother to do that. And when I bumped into Brendan and saw what he was doing, I, I was extremely impressed. And um, so when he asked me to have a cup of tea with him, I had a cup of tea with him and we talked theater. And we talked acting, and we talked shaping, and 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 creating, and and it was. Um, I've told him this. It's like meeting myself. <laughs> yeah. To yourself. Is that what you're saying? I've, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like coming out of a forest, right, on one side, and there's somebody coming out of a forest on the other side, and when you see each other, you say, "Oh, that's me." I just happen to be in a different form, but yeah. <laughs> I know it sounds wacky, but that's what I feel. I felt as if I'd met myself. That's great. Uh, mm-hmm. And we did, I think, three or four plays together afterwards. Actually, we did, um, the first play we did was called The Hostage. It was at uh, Magnus Theatre Northwest in, uh, in Canada. And after we finished that one, the director asked each of us if we would be interested in doing Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. If you've never seen Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, you have missed an experience that you need to rectify. It is a, an amazing show. It's a musical. Uh, and you're really never off stage. Uh, I think the only time I was off stage is when I died. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's just singing and dancing and, 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 and story. And um, so we said, sure. Uh, I went home to my home for a week and he studied for a week. So we did that show, and then we went home. I went home to my home in Winnipeg. He went to his home in Toronto. And then um, I got a call from a summer company. Uh, they were doing four plays in, uh, in rep, actually. And um, so I went to this place called uh, Blythe, Ontario, to do uh, four shows in the summer. And when I got there, who was there? <laughs> In the cast, so there' an opportunity for us to work with you know do four more shows together. He works a little differently from the way I do. I, I've been doing this longer because I started when I was about three years old. My mother said the first time I was on stage, I was three years old, and I sang and danced. So oh, wow. so it, it's something that I've had in my brain. When I was a little kid, people would say, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And I would always say, "I want to be what I am, an actor." That's what I am. I don't. There's no B to it. It's I am that already. I'm just waiting to get big enough that I can start working. So, so it's a little different style. And um, I, 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 Brendan will will attack a difficult job, and he will he will hammer at it, or he'll gnaw at it like a, a dog with a bone, until he finally gets what he's looking for. And he comes up with these beautiful characterizations that are just just amazing. Um, I don't do that. I, you know, I also write novels, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, people say, how do you, do you make a, a, an outline or do you have some sort of synopsis? And I say, no, I'm a pantser. And that's a, a term that they use in, in the, with authors. They say, do you, do you write out your, your, your outline or do you just sort of write and whatever comes into your head? And that's doing it by the seat of your pants. 
And so I act by the seat of my pants, and I write by the seat of my pants. And that's not to say that I don't think about it, because it's in my head all the time. But in actual, in practice of doing it, it seems to just, when you were asking Brendan about the characters, what voices to give to them, I looked at, at the pictures, because we had pictures from Japan. They did our storyboards for us. And I thought, this is obvious. I've got Vanessa. I've got Gloria. I've got a computer. And I'm going to have a whole bunch of kids. But I'll worry about the kids later. So the voices were really easy because I think I thought of Gloria as some sort of a maybe 25-year-old tomboy kind of, kind of girl. And then, you know, Vanessa came ready packed. <laughs> there was no question as to how Vanessa was going to sound. Or, or what she was like, or who she liked, or what she would like to do with Matt Tracker, or any of the other guys, for that matter. So it, it was relatively easy. The, the slightly difficult part was the, um, the computer, because um, I had seen, of course, uh, um, 2001 A Space Odyssey with Hal, that computer, mm -hmm. Sure. And I thought, I don't want to try to do, and, and the one on, on Star Trek, too, the, the female voice. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to repeat of that. I wanted it to be very different. So when I went into the audition, I just, I just said, okay, well, this is what I've come up with. And they said, great, fine. Later on, I didn't realize that when you're in the studio, you may have said, you may have had the, the computer voice here, it was about here that I wanted to talk about, and she's in the, in the other one, run, dun, 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 and she's in her car now. Well, maybe a few minutes later you had that again, and you forget what pitch you were at. Uh -huh. So then I'd have to say, I'm sorry, could I have playback? Because I'd find myself going higher, maybe, up, and then I think, no, no. Playback, playback. So we kept that consistent by having playback every time I had to do the computer, which I found extremely helpful. And perhaps I could have avoided had I given it a little more thought before <laughs> I presented it to them. Because once I presented it to them, they said, good, problem solved. Okay, let's get on with something else, you know. And it became my problem how to, how to make sure that it was consistent, not their problem, um, which is the correct way to do it. I'm sorry, I'm rattling. You would ask me something. No, that's fine. <laughs> uh, I guess tell us a little bit about the transition from theater into television and eventually into mask and how that, that kind of took place. Um, I never thought of it as a transition. It's like mm -hmm. um, how, many, how many fingers do I have? I have ten fingers. They all belong to me. I know how to work all of them. So today I'm going to use this finger. Oh, can I also use this finger? Sure. And those are all the skills that you have, you know, that you have. So you just simply move from one room to another room, and they're all there. I was once, that summer that I talked about, there was a, an actor in the company uh, who she's become a very, very good friend. And I had a scene in there where uh, our, my son had been lost at sea. Brendan was playing my husband, and my son had been lost at sea. And a light comes up downstage and a sailor comes in carrying a bundle of clothing. And Brendan goes down and takes the bundle of clothing from him. And that's the information going to the audience that their son is dead. And at that moment, the audience goes, ah, like that. But I'm off stage. I don't hear any of that. Right? My character's off stage. 
He calls her on stage, and as soon as she, he calls her name and she comes on stage, she sees that package, and she completely falls apart. And then we sit downstage, and he starts saying the, the Lord's Prayer, and I'm weeping, tears falling down my face. This actor came to me, and she said, how do you do that? How do you do that? And I thought, what do you mean, how do I do it? I never thought about how you do it. You just... <laughs> It's just one of, the, one of the things you have to be able to do. And I said to her, which I was going to say just a minute ago about having different rooms, is you have in your psyche, you have all these different rooms. If you need something, what? Religious, you go to that room. If you need something that makes you feel happy, you go to that room. If you need a place that will make you weep, you go to that room. And it's there waiting for you. You've had all these experiences. If you're an adult, let's say by the time you're 30, you've had all these experiences. So you just have to be able to, 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 to pull them out of your pocket, you know, like the rabbit out of the hat. You just need to, be able to pull it up. It's there. But you have to know where it is and know how to get there and do it this fast. And, and speaking of shifting from character to character, you know where those characters are. And I'm going to shift from this finger to this. It's easy because I know where they are. And I'm not going to get lost. I know who they are, and I know where they are, and I know what they sound like. Because I made them. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound very easy, yeah. and I guess that's a testament to your career and how you know you're still doing you know acting. You've been today. To, you've been yeah. to my IMDb. I have. I have. Yes. I always. Uh, I always like to do a little bit of history before <laughs> I. Uh, I talk to people that I'm just meeting. But, That's a very clever thing. But no, I, <laughs> no, I just wanted to say, I mean, it, it is a testament to that, that I, I don't think people can just switch that uh, that on and, and go to a different compartment so easily like you say you're, you're able to do. So uh, and that's great. Well, I've heard I've heard some actors whom I admire very much talk about the, the difficulty, but I've also heard, heard them talk about the same sort of the same idea that I have. I taught acting for a number of years at the University of Winnipeg in uh, Manitoba, Canada, and I found that when I I had young people, uh, mostly young second year students, and some of those second year students were people who were coming back to school who were like 40, 50 years old, and when I talked about this particular approach. To the young people, I was met with these blank stares and open mouths. They had no idea what I, they had no idea. Because they didn't have those places yet. The older people would nod. Now, they would have difficulty going there because a lot of people are, are um, self-conscious about revealing maybe sides of themselves that are not particularly attractive. But that's the point of an actor. That's that's what we do. Um, and and we, re we relish it. We, we take pleasure in it. We take joy in sure. it. We take pride in the fact that we can do, we can do that. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's like having, it's like drinking for me. It's like, like pouring warm milk over my head. It's just, it just, um, I, I, it's indescribable. <laughs> it's wonderful. And I love it. And, and the stuff I'm doing most recently, I actually have a shoot on, on, uh, yeah, what's tomorrow, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And, um, I was saying to Brendan, every time I go in for an audition, they always are expecting somebody with gray hair. And, and my father died with no gray hair. My mother died with only of the beginnings of gray hair. We just don't get gray hair in my family. 
So I bought myself a gray wig. And boy, did work pick up. <laughs> All of a sudden, I mean, I'm the just everywhere. I, those, those, last two, those last two entries you saw on IMDb, those are both, I think one of, this, one of them is finished and the other one's in post-production. When I went to the table read and didn't have the, the wig, the, the gray wig, everybody said, uh, oh, uh, wait, uh, oh, um, what? Uh, uh, I said, don't worry, I had, here's the wig. I have the wig. <laughs> and that's because everybody has their preconceived notion to see if what you should look like. Sure. But when you're doing a cartoon series, you can be a panda. I was a panda. <laughs> I was a cat. If you remember, there was an episode where there were, the, the bad guy was sitting in his chair and he had a cat on his lap. Yes. And he yeah. was petting yes. the cat. That was me. If you go back, you'll hear me meow. <laughs> and there was a cuckoo clock in one. And then there was one where they were visiting pandas in, in China. Um, and they said to me, okay, Sharon. Here's your panda. And I said, I don't know what a panda sounds like. He <laughs> said, just make something up. You know, so I'm going. <laughs> because I don't know. And they said, good, cool. Go on, move on. <laughs> and as Brendan was saying before, problem solved. Let's let's keep moving. Keep moving. Right, keep right, moving. right. Because right. we had we had two days a week in the studio and we had four hours. And in four hours we could do two episodes. So we could do four episodes a week if our um, storyboards came in from Japan. Sometimes they would be late and, or we wouldn't get them uh, in time and we'd have to then book another day. But it was pretty much four episodes a week. So they needed to really, and you had two hours to do it. So you need to whip on through it. And that meant that every actor, when it came time to audition for those extra characters that just showed up all of a sudden, we know nothing about them. All we know is all of a sudden in your hand, you've got this script and it's got all these extra characters. Everybody had to come to it prepared to audition for other things. So you've got to have a lot of characters. And I, I really admire Doug because Doug has a lot of characters in his head. Um, sure does. And he just sort of pulls them out uh, like this. I don't have that many. I have maybe a third of what he has. Um, but he's done a lot of improv. And in, in improv, you have to come up with these characters. Right. Um, and so he has, has the benefit of that. But it was, uh, it was such fun. We had such a good time. Um, it's a very pleasant memory of our first few weeks here that we came here, and within two weeks, we were working. Um, and and the fact that everybody has enjoyed it so much, and I we were looking it up, googling it before you guys called, and I didn't realize it had been translated into French and German and and Swahili or whatever yeah. else it's been translated <laughs> into, and and it's and the the boxed sets are being sold all over the world, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. yep. Uh, amazing! I didn't know that. I thought it had would just die its normal death, and it hasn't. No, it's uh, it's yeah, been a pecca really, really of a, of a franchise. Um, we've learned just recently that it went to Argentina. Uh, there yeah. are even toys made. Of, there are certain box sets. And Jason can tell you about that as per collector's side of it. That you can go to Germany, and there's a German mask type of. Um, characters and box sets you can go to argentina you can go to uh, other countries and there's minor we call them knockoffs yeah but are, they, I mean, are, they still, like, are they like knockoffs or are they are the good well they're they're essentially repainted 
uh, toys, I think, from America, and they repackaged, uh, gave them a different little paint scheme. Uh, some of the, mainly the toys in Europe were um, about the same. There was just different box art and, and such, uh-huh. but it was, it was practically the same. But yeah, I mean, there's we've seen groups on Facebook from Indonesia, um, you know, just with this podcast, it's been pretty neat. Um, our host gives us some statistics back of what countries and where people listen and download. And there's people that listen in Australia, a lot of people in Europe, and of course, uh, United States and Canada mainly. Uh, one of our most faithful listeners, who's a huge Vanessa fan, she's from uh, Norway. So it's uh, it, it is amazing. It's almost like a silent, uh, silent franchise worldwide. What is her? What is her name? I think I know her. Anna. Anna, of course. Yes. She writes yes. to me. She writes to me. Does yeah, she? <laughs> we, yeah, we correspond because she also oh, that's great. she also reads my books. Uh-huh. So after she reads one of them, she says, "Okay, what what else?" And I said, "Go to go to Amazon.com. All the all the books, all three books are there." And she just recently finished the third one. She says, "Okay, now what are you writing?" And I said, Anna, I, I'm I'm up to my eyeballs. I just have it. I need five or six hours at a stretch to really get deep enough that I can actually make something decent. I just yeah. don't have time. And she said, Okay, but what kind of ideas are you having? <laughs> well, I have a couple of ideas. And then she wrote me back and said, Yeah, 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 do that one. I want to I want to see that one. And, of course, now I've got her pressing me at my back saying, write something else, write something else. She's neat. She's a neat lady. I like her. Yeah. It sounds like she's a real motivator. She but is. <laughs> she, she, uh, we, we have a small uh, email list that we send out questions to. Of course, she's part of that. And I'm surprised she even wrote a question in because it sounds like you, you two practically know each other. Yeah. But, yeah. Just um, about do we do because we've, ta- we've been talking back and forth for Gee, it's got a couple of years right now. I think it, yeah. it's been. Yeah, she was one of the early early adapters of our our website and our show, and she's very faithful. Each time we we do an episode review, we ask people to kind of leave their own review and, and rate it one to five, how what they thought of it, and I all but maybe one or two. She's always always there with her take and and. Uh, she's real knowledgeable about the mask series, and uh, she's thoughtful. She's thoughtful, very thoughtful. Yeah, yes. and she's just not stuff that's just off the off the bat. She's very thoughtful. So tell me, what is your favorite episode? Wow. Well, I can tell you what's not my favorite episode. Okay, <laughs> tell me that. And, and that would be why I can uh, can tell you about this. That would be the panda episode. Uh huh. Um, there was and. You know, it's it's easy for us now to critique it because uh, we're looking at it through different eyes than we did when we were eight or nine years yeah. old. You know, um, and there's some episodes the animation was better than others, um, and the sound effects seem to have changed throughout as well, which is there's kind of no consistency with that. So that that kind of bugs me. But for some reason, the the, the panda power episode was uh, not one that I. <laughs> That I enjoyed um, that much. I, I think one of our favorites uh, from the beginning was uh, the Rotex, where they they have these bugs that they have to find, and uh, Mayhem is trying to unleash them, and they eat all of the mask vehicles and such. And it was the first point where we got a true um, uh, reality, I guess, of the mask vehicles. We see Matt Tracker's 
baby, the, the Thunderhawk Camaro, totally destroyed. I mean, he crash lands, there's doors flying off, you know, and he's kind of trapped in there, and Mayhem comes up to finish him once from, for all, you know. And that was really the first time that we, you know, we saw that uh, realism about the show, where it's not just lasers shooting overhand. You know, kind of the A-team style yes, exactly. show from the 80s, mm-hmm. where nobody got hurt mm-hmm. and um, but I, that's one that I really uh, enjoy. Another one, well, I'm, I'm skipping ahead because the next one we're going to do is when um, when Miles Mayhem has this uh, crystal skull and he can actually see Matt Tracker's identity. Um, and we're finally getting into some other elements of the series that we haven't gotten in the first 30 you know, some odd episodes where they kind of know each other and, and things like that. And like Wyatt mentioned too, Brendan, we actually wrote a movie script. Yes, I know. Uh, for like a yeah. for like a live action movie, and that's more kind of our universe, our world that we created was they know each other. There's a history there, and and really, Mask didn't have an origin story, but just in the comics. And I kind of wish that there would have been a you know four or five episodes to start, you know, to see how it all began and otherwise just mask and venom are there and we don't know why they're fighting each other other than one side's obviously good and one side's obviously evil but that's all i don't know i kind of like that we didn't know any more than that right i'm sure (laughs) but we didn't particularly care we said okay i got it i'm gonna go with it yeah and then you and what you do is as you move along as we were moving along, I realized one one day, just it just hit me all of a sudden one day we were in the studio, and I realized that Vanessa had evolved. That she had, and I think, well, how did she evolve? And I don't know, but I felt she was deeper, that she was a richer character. Just It just suddenly came to me. And I thought, well, you've been doing her for so long, and there were 75 episodes. Sure, sure. Uh, you've been doing her so long that you know her better now. You can present her Maybe not as a better or worse person, but you know, as a fuller character uh, than she was. Um, and she was more easily known than Gloria. Gloria seemed to be, uh, I won't call her one-dimensional, but certainly not multi-dimensional. And I thought that, that possibly Vanessa had, um, had hidden depths that we didn't plumb. And... I, sometimes I got the impression that she had a thing for Miles Mayhem, and sometimes I, I was sure she had a thing for Matt Tracker, and from time to time with Brad. I mean, she did some mm-hmm. stuff there with Brad. Uh, I mean, Brad's a cute fellow. I mean, he's a good-looking guy, and you should have seen <laughs> Graham. You should you should see Graham McKenna, who who was his voice. He's gorgeous, just gorgeous. Lots of dark hair and great face. He and he, by the way, I'm not where, sure where he's living now. But he's on Facebook. With he's on my Facebook. Um, if you would like, I'll send him a note asking if he'd be interested in doing one of these because he Please. can t- he can tell you all the problems he had getting the robot going. And we've heard now from oh, the Doug that, that was a struggle. Oh, the T Bob episode. It, it goes on and on and on. And he he felt he was in danger a while there of losing that role because they just couldn't decide what they wanted. And I thought he did a beautiful job with it. You know, uh, yeah. considering. Go ahead. We, yeah. we attest when we did our episode reviews that there was, especially early on, T-Bob seemed to have a voice change periodically before he, mm-hmm. they landed on yeah. what we now know. And like yeah. you were saying earlier about Vanessa, 
I have noticed in the episodes going back now, as a kid, I probably wouldn't have thought anything of it. Mm-hmm. Going through it now, uh, probably part of it is the script, but you see that there's more of a kind of like a brother, sister, sibling rivalry going on uh, with Rax specifically, but they're always yes. picking at each other. Right. She gives uh, Miles uh, a couple comments off, off and on, you know. Uh, for whatever reason, just to, just to spur it on where before it wasn't, it was just more, I'm going to give you a taste of whip and that right. would be the extent yeah. of really the characters, uh, uh, evolution, so to speak. If they will give you even one line that you can grab onto that will help the character evolve, character to evolve. And you can't keep, uh, in 75 episodes, you don't want to keep the same level all the time. I mean, right. even though it's even though it's for kids, the kids are not stupid. You know, sure. uh, they recognize something that has quality and something that doesn't have quality. So uh, I think, anyway, um, my kids did because <laughs> my kids are so smart, <laughs> <laughs> most beautiful kids in the whole world, uh, of course. But it was um, it was an experience. Also, have you spoken to um, to Mark Halloran? I have. Uh, chatted with him a little bit on Facebook and we're trying to set up a, a, a chat with him as well. So he yeah, we is, definitely want his take. He's amazing. He is amazing. We saw his show at the comedy store um, some years ago and he's the only person I've ever seen do an impression of William Hurt. <laughs> How do you do William Hurt? I, I right. But it was. I recognize it as William Hurt. He's... Uh, he doesn't do all the obvious ones. He does do Woody Allen, but he he does he did he did does William Shatner. How do you do William Shatner? And it does. So um, when we went in, he just had this whole basket of voices sure. that he could. And I thought that's not fair. <laughs> he's, he's already got them. I got to work to get them. And he, he just, he's got this basket filled with polished. He was he was a winner on Star Search. Wow. Wow, I yeah. didn't know that. You have to look for him now and post it well, on. Just go go to go to um, YouTube and type uh-huh. in Mark Halloran Star Search, and you'll see you'll see his act. And then you'll see him win, and he, he oh, doesn't gosh. know what to, know what to do with himself. They said the winner is Mark Halloran, and he's sort of going, "Oh, I think it's me." Oh, <laughs> oh, all right, it goes over. Um, but yeah, that's he had just done that. It had been like uh, like a month or so that he before that he had done it. Uh, and then we started shooting, and so he's just pulling all these voices out of out of his ears, yeah. and um, and it what it did with the rest of us is it prompted us to work a little harder uh, sure. to come up with. So I I like that. Always work with somebody who can make you better. You know, sure, yeah. Somebody who can pull you down. So uh, that's what attracted me to Brendan. I thought working with him will make me better. More will be demanded of me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose it's life, isn't it? It's, you want to want to get better whenever you can. So um, about your uh, novels, what um, I guess what prompted you or motivated you to to get into no- romance novels to to write that it was just a spark idea. And you just had to put it on paper, or it's it's going it's going to sound. I'll this is going to sound as if I'm being coy. I'm not. This is the absolute God's truth. I was we were in Canada, and I was temping for uh, a lawyer, and she had no work to do, nothing. So she's sitting in her office, twiddling her thumbs, looking out the window, 
and I'm sitting at my desk out front with nothing to do. So I'm thinking, well, I'm bored out of my mind. What am I going to do with myself? Oh, well, oh, what on the on here? And in my head, I heard a female voice say, but madam, why does it have to be me? I thought, okay, but madam, why does it have to be me? Whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And then another older voice said, because you're my best seamstress and because Estrella or Estrella is my very dearest friend and I want this wedding to be perfect. And then I thought, what is this all about? I had discovered that whoever spoke first was a seamstress and there's something about a wedding. And it just sparked an interest and it just started coming like that and I just started Writing wow. it. I mean, I, and I feel silly when I say this. I remember when I was writing this particular, that particular one, and I was upstairs, and Brendan said, are you going to come down for lunch? And I said, oh, okay, but I have to hurry because um, I don't want to miss the movie. And I came down, and I had a really fast sandwich. And he said, you're going to stay down? I said, no, I've got to go back because I'm watching the movie. And he said, what movie? I said, the movie in my head. I have to watch it so I can write it down because they may start talking and I won't get a chance to write it down. And all I did was I watched what they were doing and I wrote what they were doing and then I heard what they said and I wrote what they said. And I know that sounds as though I'm a lunatic, but that's how I write. And then when it comes to an end, I'm done. So if they say, well, can you make it a little longer? I think, well, I don't know. I have to stir these people up and see if they'll do anything else because their resolution is already done. Um, and why it was a romance novel, I have no idea. Couldn't tell you. It, that's just what came into my head. Um, and since it was, I was successful in selling it to a publisher, I thought, well, let's see if I can do another one here. So uh, I took a story that was sort of a, a kickoff from when my mother went back to, to college after um, all of her children had finished. And she was 50, 55 years old, I think. And I wrote a book about a young, younger woman than that. She was turning 50, and she had lost her husband, and she went back to school, and what happened to her there at the university. Um, and that one was successful as well. So I thought, well, we'll try another one. And <laughs> as long as they keep coming into my head with the first line, I can continue to write. But for the past three years, nothing has come into my Usually it happens that I'm walking the dogs or I'm driving somewhere. I'll just... I'll just hear something. Mowing the grass on this. Mowing the grass. <laughs> I get so many ideas mowing the grass. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. That's, I, think that's me. I, I think it takes me double the time to mow my lawn because I have an idea. Yes. Like I won't get with the times. I still have my own uh, flip. Uh-huh. I, and my, this is my memo pad. I sit there and literally text myself an email. It'll be just three or four words, and that'll be the know? line. And Jason, I'm sure, does something similar to that because if I don't type it or write it down, mm-hmm. it I've already lost it. It's gone forever. Oh, uh, there's well, no way up in here anymore. Wait, <laughs> wait until you get to be the age that we are. You have to say. We say to each other, "I'll say, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I have to say this before I forget it. And if I don't say it right now, it will be gone because in a millisecond, it's gone. And sometimes." The, the other person on the other end will say, okay, well, but so-and-so-and-so. And then they'll say, now, what did you want to say? And I say, I have no idea. It has to be, when it hits my head, I have to say it because it won't stay. And, and at night, 
I that's when a lot of ideas come at night. And I have a you know these these pencils that you write on china with you can write on you can write on glass with them you know the red those yeah. red things I have those and I get up during the night and since I don't want to turn the light on to wake Brendan up I write on the mirror with that <laughs> pencil with that pen the, the yeah I'm not kidding and I know that the next morning I'm going to see it and then I will remember it well, I'm but sure it's, it's trying to figure out what what ghost walked into our room last night? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a murder mystery. Yeah. But he, well, he doesn't, he doesn't use my bathroom. He, he has a bathroom on the other, around the hall on the other side. So um, when I walk in in the morning, I'm saying, oh, thank you. Thank you, Sharon, for doing me this favor and writing it last night because I would never have remembered it. And, and sometimes it's things just like a name. And, uh, the name of a character will come. And... I don't want to forget it because it's, it'll be really, these are really crucial. The names are really crucial for some reason. I don't know why, but yeah, I think this whole, what we're talking about here, it, it becomes very Zen. You know, your, your, your mind is open because you're not thinking about anything. You're mowing the lawn. And that is something which is, which is almost trans inducing. Uh, right. <laughs> so it opens up your mind for all this stuff to come in. And the funny thing is that all that stuff is there. And you say, where did that come from? And it came from because you have probably probably millions of ideas. But they just need that Zen moment to express themselves. And I can see that because some time ago I wrote a book. uh, And it's still been in the works for I don't know how many years. Uh, I keep thinking it's done. And I keep having a friend friend or two look at it. And they're like, where's the uh, the detail? Or where's this? Or where's that? And I'm like, well. I'm done. I don't know about any other. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) But um, it's not just fiction. But uh, because you're on that topic of the novel, how did you? Did you just kind of here? I'm done with the book after you were done, and say, here's here it is, and the publisher said, yeah, that's great, that's what I want, or sounds like it'll be a seller, or. Uh, really, that process work because uh, as mask aside, I know that we're going a whole different rabbit trail like we dip, typically do, Jason. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm interested because That's I've been, fine. yeah, sure. I've had this idea, like I said, I don't, it has to be going on for uh, being military. I go from assigned assignment to assignment, not years. It's probably been 12 <laughs> years I've had this book, so-called done. Mm-hmm. added little things to it but it hasn't really grown to a point where it's um, I don't know I, I'm not adding 100 pages to it I'm adding maybe a page or two if I'm lucky I'm at 100 and I don't know 150 I think right now um, I write scene by scene um, uh, I write I write a scene and when it comes to its conclusion I'm done and then I leave I leave the computer because that's now done and then I go back the next day or so, and I read that scene again as if it's somebody else's book. And I say, does that interest you enough that you'd want to continue reading? I, and, and I never send anything into a publisher that I haven't gone over with a fine-tooth comb. Um, I write it, and then I read it. And then, inevitably, I make changes. And after I've made the changes, then I read it. But not right away. Wait a day or so. Um, Funnily enough, I, I was scheduled for a for a, a book signing at the Burbank Library for a Saturday, but it conflicts with this shoot, 
so I had to cancel it. Uh, and I would love to have gone and done this because I, that's one of the things that people always ask, you know, how do you put this together? Um, but I, I come from a, I, I, I teach English. Um, I was teaching, also teaching English at the University of Winnipeg and at Red River Community College. And I take, teach English as a second language uh, now. have been doing that for about 10 years here um, at the Beverly Hills Lingual Institute. So, first of all, my grammar is perfect. Um, and so that I don't have to worry about. So right. then, then I have to worry about, is, it, does, is this the kind of thing that would draw me in as a reader? And if it doesn't, then I have to rewrite it. And I've a couple of times... Yeah, I'm sure everybody does this. I'll bet you have to. I think I'm finished, and I think, oh, I know what I should have done. <laughs> now, sometimes it's already gone to the, gone to press, and it's too late, or maybe it's not. If, it, if it's not, you can go back. and I did that. went back and put another scene in that explained all, a lot of stuff. Um, I think the first thing that you want to, want to do is, does your subject interest you? And... Would you read it if you were to buy it? And would you read it? Would you like it well enough that you would buy it and read it? I, from time to time, I go into the library and I pull down one of my books and I start to read it. And I think, damn, this is good. I didn't. And then I think, I can't write this anymore. I, I don't who, who was I? Who wrote this? Where did I get all this from? Because if I sat down today, I wouldn't know how to do it. Well, of course I would. Right. But. You really never know when you're done. If you're writing, if you're writing to order, I mean, the the, the books that I write, uh, they ask for fifty five thousand, no less than fifty five thousand words, and no more than sixty. So somewhere between there, uh, it's what they want. If you write over that, they say it's it's not our thing. Send it somewhere else. So know your market, mm -hmm. and know how many pages you have to write, and then overwrite. Because what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to trim. And if you don't overwrite, you've got no fat to trim. And trust yourself. The biggest thing is trust yourself. But if you're writing about something that you love and you're actually in the process of writing, you should whip, you should whip along. I mean, you should be writing a, 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 not a chapter a day. That's too much. Uh, well, some people do. I don't. I don't. Um, but certainly a scene a day. Right. And then, right. then let it cook a little while. And then know who to send it to. Know who to send it to. Just make sure that you go go online and Google lists of the the kinds of um, publishers who publish what you're writing. And first of all, know what you're writing. Right. You yeah. know, you you might you might have a book about a woman who loves flowers, and you go into great detail about how she plants and how her arbor looks and everything. And yet, the book has nothing to do with plants. It just happens that she likes all these plants, and somebody reads it and says, well, what's with all the plants? Can you get on with the story? Move on with the story. And, um, and if it's fiction, keep the story moving. Keep it moving. And, and um, this I learned the hard way. Lots of dialogue, not much exposition, because they say people will skip over the exposition to get to the dialogue. <laughs> and, of course, in my books... Um, if a man picks it up, I mean, women will read it. They read it all the way through, and, and, and they're, they're caught up in it. But every man who's picked up, like friends of ours who pick up one of my books, they pick up the book, and they go, oh, wow. 
Oh, right. You can't. Oh. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Oh. Oh my goodness. So they're just skipping to the hot parts. Yeah. Right. So they're not even getting any of the story. They don't know the depth of the story. And one of the things that the very first uh, publisher said to me, she said, this is not really a romance novel. This is a cross between a romance novel and women's fiction, which is a, a, a level up from, from romance writers are, are, are not the most respected writers. They, they call us trash writers. But, <laughs> right. but romance novels outsell any other genre, have, always have. Um, every December the report comes out and we're just we're way ahead of everybody else. And that's because there are so many women who read them. But um, all I can do is wish you great luck with it. But but make sure it's a project you love. If you don't love it, then you're probably wasting your time with it. You know, I, when I was writing, I couldn't wait to get back to the computer. Just right. couldn't right. wait every day. Get in there because you want to know. <laughs> what I was thinking is, I want to see what happened while I wasn't there, which is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's actually what it was like for me early on. I couldn't wait to, to write it. I'm just now yeah. at a... I think it's closed. Um, I hadn't looked at it for probably two years and went over it. And I like I added little tidbits, grammatical stuff sometimes. And then I... Um, in fact, I have Jason in, during his busy schedule to kind of peruse it, um, you know, as a kind of a... That's that's the last one I'm look letting look at it before I figure out is it publish worthy or is it one of these where uh, hey uh, if you want to read it great if not I understand type of uh, scenarios. But remember this too: too many cooks spoil the broth. True. This is your project, and maybe if maybe Jason reads it and he's and he's thinking I well this is not what I would have written. Well, he didn't write it; you wrote it. Right. So I've never, I've never shown my work in progress to anybody except my daughters, my two daughters. Mm -hmm. And I, I showed it to them to say, is this working? Is this doing what I think it's doing? And they make really cogent remarks, very, very fine, detailed remarks. And uh, they've been very helpful. Um, I have used my son because I have because I, I write by the seat of my pants. I've written myself into a corner so many times with no way to get out. Simply, um, I've got a, a a character who's who's having tea and 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 chatting. Uh, this is a character that I killed uh, back two chapters before. I forgot that I'd already killed her. So <laughs> she right. So ah, mistake. Now what do I do? Now what do I do? So what I do in those situations is I invite my son to go to brunch, just the two of us, and then I. Present him with my dilemma, and he always says, "Oh, well, what you could do," and he always has three answers, and they're all doable. But that's the only thing I don't ask him. What do you think about the script? I don't care what anybody thinks about the script. I care what I think about the script, and I don't care if if a, a publisher doesn't like it. I like it, and I've been fortunate enough to find publishers who like what I like and who like what I do. Not everybody does. Not everybody does. The first person I sent it to uh, uh, said, I love your concept, but you're starting in the wrong place. And I didn't know what she was talking about. Uh, this, is a good, this is good for you, Wyatt. 
I wrote her back. I said, I, I don't know what you're I'm sorry, I'm brand new to this. What are you talking about? She said, you want to do a cold opening. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what a cold opening is. Could you help me out here? And she said, yes. She said, cut out the first three chapters. Just throw them away. And I thought, I sweated blood over those three chapters. I delved into my psyche. I wrote beautiful, there's beautiful stuff there. And she's, we're all doing this by computer, right? And she went back and said, yes, of course, throw them away. Or if you want to save them and put them in as as flashbacks somewhere in bits and pieces, you can do that. But she said, you want to, you want to jump in in the middle of the action. Is this fiction you're writing, Wyatt? Yes. Yes, okay. You want to jump in in the middle of action, just like the new James Bond films. Mm-hmm. The very first thing you see is not where he's in his coat saying, Bond, James Bond. It's where he's fighting somebody, right in the middle of the action. So she said, do that. I, I, I did it. I said, to, I said to Brendan, oh, I can't do it. He said, do it. So I did it. Sent it back out. It was published. Nice. That's great. So, yeah, so now what I do is I cut out the first three chapters in my head before I ever start writing. And you'd be amazed. And also, remember, also point of view. That was one of the big things that they were on my case about was point of view. Um, how, whose point of view are you writing from? Which What's one of your character's point of view, right? Right. Right. So they say don't have too many points of view because you've got, they call it head hopping. They say that you're, the, the reader's going, who's talking? Oh, who's, uh, all right, who am I? Who am I supposed to identify with? You need to, somebody that they have to identify with. Um, my son and I like to read the Jack Reacher novels. And so it's always through Jack Reacher. We're always, we are Jack Reacher. We are not any of the other people. So when you have too many, too many points of view, not that they're speaking, but that they say, oh, he thought, he looked at her and he thought, blah, blah, blah. How do we know what he thought? We are the woman. Or if we're the man, we, we, we can be the man. You can tell the story from the male point of view. But you can't then tell what the woman's thinking because you are the man. The, the exception to that, and you can do this in your novels too, Wyatt, is if you want to change the POV, then you put you, you 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 finish your last line of whoever's talking and thinking, and then you put um, three asterisks, and then you start from the other POV, and you can do that as long as it's marked in the script where the POV changes. Um, I, it took me a year to learn that. They kept saying you're head hopping, you're head hopping, head hopping, and I thought I like it that way. I like to know what other people are thinking, but they said the readers don't. So. Uh, just keep that in the back of your head. That may give you a little boost in what you're doing. I don't know. Um, it might. But, but these are things that, that they just don't they, they don't tell you. Nobody right. tells you. Right. So when you learn it, it becomes it's a hard lesson to learn because it takes a while for you to actually finally accede to it. But once you do, it's like saying, I, I give up. What do you need me to do? They tell you, and you say, fine, I do it. And... And, the, and I would say, don't show it to anybody. Don't show it to Jason. Don't show it to your sister. Don't show it to your wife. Don't show it to anybody. They didn't write it. You wrote it. They would have written a diff- If they had done the same novel, it would have been different. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I have a different writing style than him. Yeah, you know, so, of course. Yeah. And we all do. It's, it's interesting the way we, uh, you know, we started our, our mass script as kind of a, a way to keep in touch Gosh, eight years ago now, is it? Why? <laughs> like that. 
he was stationed in Idaho, and I was living here in the South, and it was just a way to, you know, we would write, we would come up with ideas, he would pick it up, put it down, I would pick it up, put it down, so there's, I can even, when I go back now to the script, see the different styles, so it just makes sense what you're saying, that you write, you're writing for you, you know, <laughs> don't let too many other influences into you know, what you're trying to express. Um, it, and, you know, it, it was funny uh, what Brendan said about uh, talking about uh, going to your old house and, you know, what are these people doing in my house? And I had that experience, that same experience last summer, and it kind of made me want to write a little memoir about my uh, childhood adventures, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I s- sent that over to Wyatt thinking, is he, <laughs> I, you know, I, you want, you want, I guess, kind of somebody that you trust to, to read what you're, uh, what you have wrote. But at the same time, you know, like you're saying, how much, how much input should you take from, from somebody else? So, I mean, you've given us a, 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 a whole class here on yeah. <laughs> on writing, which is great. No, and, and you know maybe we'll start well, maybe we'll start charging for these podcasts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I no, that was I I really appreciate you know everything that you've that you've said, and I know why it has, as well um, as far as the writing aspects and stuff because it is for somebody like us that we're not trying to do it as a career. And obviously you probably weren't thinking of, of that no. when you first started, Mm-mm. you know, getting those voices in your head about started writing it. Down. Uh, yeah. Um, I remember Beethoven said that the reason he wrote so much, wrote the music is he had to get it out of his head. It was driving him crazy because it was there and he had to get it out of his head. So, uh, that's sort of what I was going through is I had to get it out of my head and onto paper. But, but I'm sorry, one, one more thing I just thought of, uh, it, 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 I have three different publishers because each book is by, is published by a different publisher. And I I wanted to get an idea of how each one of them works so I can decide which one I would like to focus on. Um, and consistently I kept getting from the editors the same, uh, little sheets of paper saying, "Look at these are our these are our rules," and they would say, "Too many adjectives, too many adverbs, too many uses of the word fine." Um, and what they were saying was, it took me a while to twig to it, is if you say, "Okay," he says, he says, "Shut your stupid mouth," he said angrily. You don't have to say angrily. Shut your stupid mouth tells us that he's angry. So don't don't deliver it. Don't spoon feed it to them. Um, mm. If your writing is good enough, the the writing itself, the the, the dialogue itself, will tell you. Uh, if she if she says, and, and I do this too, you can you can control the speed at which the reader reads your material. And that is, if you want someone to say, oh, 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 stop doing that, I don't like it. And the other person says, oh, gee, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that I was bothering you. Now I have all those pauses in there when I speak it. How do you show that when you write it? Dot, dot, dot. Then pick it up again. Dot, dot, dot. 
or uh, an M dash uh, sometimes. And I, ha I went on, I got in a quarrel with my first uh, editor because she would say, you, 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 you both put all these, these dot, dot, dot things and she said, just close them up. And I wrote her back and I said, no, I'm controlling the speed at which my, my reader reads it. I don't want him to say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that it was bothering you. I want him to say, oh, and he's thinking, oh, I'm sorry, the same way you would if you were talking, right? Sure. So she wrote me back and said, well, that's not, that's, I wouldn't do it that way. And I wrote back and said, you're not doing it. It's my voice. It's not your voice. You don't write the way I do. And she wrote me back and said, you're absolutely right. I'm sorry. Of course you're right. It's yours, your voice that's writing it. So think about that, too, that if you, if you want, you can speed it up, you can slow it down. It's all how you place it on the page. Um, if, if, if you have characters speaking. Sorry. I'm sorry, Jason, but that, I, that occurred to me. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Great, great information. And just a, a slight background on us, why we trust each other. We've known each other since the fourth grade. Oh, uh, my goodness. We are basically brothers. We call each other brothers. Uh, so that's just a little background for you. That's why we talk so much. Um, like you said, the starting the, the script idea was a way to better our our communication. Um, but we had always talked through the years uh, in some form or fashion. Uh, so when we're, you know, he's giving me his memoirs, I gave him my my book. It's we trust each other enough that, despite the writing styles, we would understand. That, you know. Jason say would say, you know, you need to cut this line out, or this is just where are you going with this, and vice mm -hmm. versa. So um, uh, just, that's just an example of background on on us for you. I know mo many of the listeners know us by now that we've been around for a while, but uh, just so you can kind of figure out where we're at. Well, I'm just thrilled that we have mask fans out there who are still still mask fans. I sort of thought that the whole thing would, would die a quiet, quiet death as you guys grew up. But I'm amazed to find that there's so many. There is, yeah. a, there is a fellow, I've forgotten his name, uh, Williams, something William, Williams. William. He, he's, a, he's a cardiac specialist at a children's hospital in London. And he says he still has the toys and his children play with the toys. And I said to Brendan, this is an educated man. <laughs> and he still has his mask toys. So I guess he did something right. Well, Guilty as charged. Yeah, well, I don't know if my camera will pick it up, but a few facts. Oh, I see. Yes, yes. Um, I have to give credit to Jason. The only one I ever had was the little Condor motorbike. Yeah. And, um, on Christmases or random birthdays, he'll find something on ebay and and, and said it. um but it's it's it was it's truly been fun i you know once we started this podcast i was like well i gotta at least have you know matt tracker's vehicle and then uh oh well these couple here on ebay aren't too bad let me get those and then it just i be i, I essentially became a masked toy dealer on ebay for about two years and <laughs> i just went overboard with it but and now it's fun because I, I'm in a house where I don't have like a man cave to you yes. know, display all these or whatever. And I have two sons and I've, I've been able to introduce them to the, 
the series, and then uh, now it's like, uh, Daddy, can we get some mask toys down to play with? And I, we're, we see this too on Facebook. Uh, we posted a couple of pictures this week of uh, of uh, the dads, you know, passing along to their sons, and uh, I don't know. It, there's just something about it that has lasted. Um, and you know, like we were talking with Brendan about the camaraderie of of the actors just seem yeah. to have transitioned into we're friends uh, the fans uh, yeah we've been we've been pretty close friends now all these years we still we still have lunch we still uh invite them out from from time to time um mark lives way 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 across town <laughs> and um doug lives way 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 across town because in 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 LA, everything is two hours away, so right, right. you can't just say, "Well, I'll meet you at the cafe in fifteen minutes." Doesn't happen. Um, but the only one who actually has disappeared, and we don't know quite where he is, is uh, Graham. And of course, uh, Brennan Thick is a big grown man now, and right, right. I don't know, I don't know where he's disappeared to either. So those two, we we really didn't keep in touch with, but the rest of us pretty much hang together. Um, and it's really cool. And really in, enjoy each other, you know, and, and, and inevitably Mark will start doing some of his impressions. And he <laughs> he does an impression of, of um Miles Mayhem that is <laughs> Brendan doesn't think so, but it's it's very good. Very good. And it's uh it's sort of a touch one of our touchstones is one of the early ones where I forgot it was it was the one about Magma Mole. Remember uh-huh. Magma Mole? And he sure. says, and the pro- the price has gone up. Yeah, now I want six million dollars. Every single time I see Mark, I swear to you, he will say, "Oh, it's Vanessa." Well, the price has gone up. <laughs> That's awesome. And if we happen to be out somewhere at a coffee shop or something, people think we've lost our minds. But uh, it's okay. It's okay. He can do it. Yes, I'm sorry. Well, that's, Go ahead. That's great. It's it's fun to hear those little stories and stuff, and we've uh, got the pleasure of, of speaking with Doug and and interacting, you know, with him in person there that uh, back in September at this uh, convention up in Philadelphia. Oh that yes, he told treat. us about that. Yeah. Oh, it was a real treat uh, just to hear his story as well, and for him to do some of the voices. And it, it, it's when we initially interviewed him, and we're hearing the voices, you know, and we're smiling ear to ear. Yeah. And then. To be at the convention at the same table as him, and he's doing the voices, and you can look out in the crowd and see the smiles. I mean, it's it's a neat experience yeah. uh, that we we got to uh, have there. But um, let me just throw a couple more questions at you, and we'll let you go. Uh, you've uh, <laughs> more than filled your time oh, tonight. Okay. Really appreciate it. Um, yes. Well, you can you can you. you can cut and slash as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the beauty of uh, of digital recording. You know, we can just turn it on and let it loose. And you know, if we want to do some editing, we will. Uh, you know, I, I think it's been great points, uh, mm-hmm. I, especially with the novels. And, and I, I did I did a lot of voice work in uh, Canada. Uh, commercials, uh-huh. you know, voiceover for commercials, and and then then um, dubbing foreign films into English, uh, blah 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 blah. And one of the things that was always so difficult, you just have to finally finally reach a point where you can do it, is that you'll have, like, say, on a commercial, you'll have um, you'll have the voice saying, you know, you should buy your donuts here because they're fresh and 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 juicy and tasty, and then music plays. 
And then you have what they call a donut, and that's a little space of time, maybe you may have 12 seconds, that you have to put this piece of dialogue, drop it into that hole before the music starts again, because you have no control over it. And so you just have to learn, and, but you can't read fast. You have to learn to make it sound slow by stretching your vowels, but closing those words up tight together. It's a real technique. And I was thrilled when digital recording came in because now I can say, you fix it. <laughs> it's not my problem anymore. Right, right. I, oh, I'm, I'm two seconds long? Mush it together. Yeah, I'm short? Stretch it out. But it's not my problem anymore. So I love it. So I love it. So I'm sorry, what other questions would you like to ask me? Um, just a couple from our listeners we wanted to get out there just to appease them, of course. Uh, one of them was Anna from uh, Norway. Uh-huh. And she asked, who do you think is the best role model for women, Gloria or Vanessa, considering the fact that Gloria is a hero and Vanessa is the villain? Um, I think I think she would probably agree with me on this. We know more about Vanessa than we do about Gloria. We have scant information on Gloria. All we know is that she's one of the good guys, and she's capable, and she's bright. And I think of her, as I said, about 25 years. I got like a, just like a college girl, uh, but sort of a tomboyish thing. Um, I think that Vanessa is a better role model because Vanessa, Vanessa, in my mind, drives her own life one day she may get in an argument with miles mayhem and say up your nose i'm out of here or she may kill him and take over you know she could do that uh, i wouldn't put it past her and i think that's a woman who, who who um who lives her life her way otherwise if she didn't she'd be at home with an apron you know having babies with with some nerdy guy who goes to the bank every day um but she doesn't. So she determines her own destiny, her own life, her own future. Um, I don't know that Gloria does it. Maybe she does. But I have no information to guide me on that. And we never got any, any we really right. didn't get any background on these characters. We had to sort of make it up as you go along. Right. So right. I'd say Glo- uh, Gloria, definitely no. I would say Vanessa, definitely <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've, I've always found it funny that... Um... You know, they built up Gloria so much. She's got this uh, background in jujitsu or whatever oh, yeah. it was. We never see but it. She ne- we never see it That's in right. the series. Right. So we don't see her that, right. you know, kind of kick butt attitude. It's more, you know, like you say, uh, they need her help. She's going to be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not, yeah. yeah she's kind of guided by what Mask said. Yeah. Bill Ferris, one of our other good friends. Uh, yes, I know Bill, yeah. Yeah, he hosts uh, matttracker.com. Uh, he says, uh, here, he asked the question, would there be something you would have liked to have changed about the characters that you voiced? Uh, as I think off the top of my head, no. Uh, I think perhaps if, there, if you're talking about more information about them so that I could flesh them out a little bit more, um, I'm not sure that that would have, if, if we had done that, we would have had to be extremely consistent and we were not always consistent, and it provided more interesting plot lines. So I think not having fully fleshed out characters was a benefit. 
at the time, and maybe that's why they didn't give us any more information on. And they, and you're right, and they never showed her doing any of the skills that, they, that she's that she supposedly had. And I've had people say, "Oh, was, was she in love with Matt?" And I thought, never occurred to me. I never saw anything. <laughs> Um, had I had they told us something, I could have put that into that. It could have gone in little nuances and and would have been interesting, but not for kids, right? I mean, right, as adults, right, you'd right, say, sure. yeah, that'd be interesting, but not for kids. Kids would be saying, <laughs> "Whoa, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> they're kissing." Oh, ooh, ooey, yes. <laughs> well, you've you've almost answered the next question um, from Eric, who is actually the host of BoulderHill.net. Um, and he's just basically asking, uh, was there any hints of the romantic relationship between uh, like Vanessa and Brad or even Gloria and Matt? And we've kind of noticed this too, as we're going, uh, we, I was a long running joke for a while that, you know, Gloria and Matt had this secret fling on the side because every once in a while they'd be on vacation together or, um, Scott would be, you know, with Matt and want to write a postcard back to Gloria, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, so, you know, she's kind of the motherly role, but there was never anything really explained about that, so I guess his question is more, it, did that uh, kind of evolve from you, or no, did the writers have anything to do with that? It was all the writers, all okay. the writers, and we never, uh, in, in terms of interpretation, we never dropped any of that into our vocal uh, uh, um, uh, but performances, yeah. thank you, yeah. Um, because lacking that information, it would have been inappropriate for us to try to inject anything. Right. I mean, it would have made it more interesting for us, but it would have been, you know, you have to keep it really, those were designed for for boys and girls, but primarily boys, who were like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe, um, maybe not more than maybe eleven. Uh, I'm not sure, but it was more that six, seven, eight, nine uh, group, and they don't like girls. So the we were told by Marcia Goodman, who was our director, producer, and director, that the only reason that there were women in this is to attract little girls, because they said girls will watch something that has girls and boys. Boys will watch something that only has boys. They don't want to watch girls. So we're only putting these girls in to pull in the girl viewers. So they have no um, no effect whatsoever on the boys who are watching. They're co totally ignored. They just watch the guys. And I hadn't thought about the psychology of it at the time, but that was their their information feedback that they get from their market research, I guess. So, Interesting. So we had to keep it pretty much... Um, I don't clean's not the good a good word for it, but uh, antiseptic, I guess. Mm -hmm. Kind of level-headed. We had all sorts of things going on though in the studio. <laughs> well, that's oh, something yes. we did ask Doug um, at the panel because we had come across um, someone had taken a picture, a video clip of a recording session for the Thundercats. And it got passed around to a few of the Thundercat fans. I happened to be one of them and shared it with Jason. Um, they were just basically goofing off, but it was almost uh, almost instantaneous. They would say their line, and then they would say, "Oh, the joke's on you!" But they were actually just j joking between their their voice actor, not actually following the script. Did did some of that go on in the studio? I think Doug a little, a little you mean bit. Improving and throwing it in. 
Yeah. Um, that not that went in, not that went into the uh, final production, but yeah, we, we had people because the studio is very small, and we were just in a certain little, in a circle, and <laughs> this is this is from another session, but I'll you, this will give you an idea of the kind of things that were going on. We were doing a session of another uh, uh, another cartoon series, and we had our hear, earphones on. And we heard a voice, and it was Doug, and he was saying, "Have you heard? Have you heard about the um, what was it? Oh, what animal was it? Not a mouse, a ferret, but for, anyway, that um, uh, Richard Gere had gone to the hospital because they remember that? Yes. yes, and he's telling us about it over the with the earphones here in in the studio." And I said, who is, that? who is that? I looked around and said, oh, I see over there. It's Doug. And he's saying, oh, do you know? That kind of stuff went on. All of that time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was the animal that I've forgotten? Not a mouse. Not a gerbil. A gerbil. Thank you. It was a gerbil. I had to have a gerbil removed. Yes. Thank you. Oh, they had all kinds of stuff. And some of it. Some of it was so dirty that I didn't even understand it. So I, I'd have to ask I'd have to ask Brendan when we got home, what did that mean? Oh, don't you know this so and so and so. So I got an education. I, I was gonna say, now you got some material for your uh, your novel. Yes, so. I do. <laughs> wow. Hmm. That stuff should go that's that that should go into fifty shades of gray. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. We didn't really touch on because you uh you did Mask, and then you also did Dennis the Menace. Yeah, which is a, another show that lasted what sixty-five episodes. Yeah, I think. yeah. I still I still get residuals off that. They're small so, now. So how? I mean, uh, was it something that Deke said? Well, we loved your performance in Mask. Yeah, and can we try this out? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and they they uh, this is something that had already been sh- been shooting and not shooting mm-hmm. already been been in process, and they lost. The the um, actor who was playing Gina, and she, they said we need a voice match or the closest we, we can get it to a voice match, uh, and you it, with her inflections and her her style right. So um, I went in. I think they were, I think there were three of us who auditioned, and um, I just luckily I listened and listened to her voice to see her 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 character, her characteristics, and you have to also make sure it's Gina too because right, you know exactly. Gina right. Um, yeah, and I did that for God, I don't know, a year, I guess. And again, doing all different women and all different children. I had a little Japanese boy that I had to do in that one. And every time I play that back, I think, wow, Sharon, you did a good job with that. <laughs> I've been recognized that as your voice um, for sure. And then I did a, a, a thing called Popples. Uh, it was sort of like little, little weird things. Animal. They're actually making a comeback. Oh, are they? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Netflix is actually putting out a new series with the Popples. I, I wasn't crazy, but I wanted to do My Little Pony. That would I w- would have loved to do, but nobody ever asked me. So, <laughs> so I didn't get to do that one. But that was fun. And then for a long time there, there was a, a, a producer in town who would buy Japanese cartoons, revoice them in English, and then sell them. And we got hooked in with him, and we just worked and worked and worked and worked. Right? Brendan, Brendan and Doug and I somehow got hooked into it. 
Oh, 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 I remember. Uh, it was uh, Marsha, Marsha Goodman. She said to us one day and uh, took us aside, three of us, and said, these people are looking for voice actors. Um, I've, I recommended you if you'd like to go and see them, blah, blah, blah. That's how we did that because I'd forgotten how, how we got hooked up. And that was very profitable for it. But we did about about two years on that too. Um, but that was that was not the uh, Canadian contract. Brendan was telling you we had to do the first one under. Right, right. And we also did, Brendan and I also did some of the, the real Ghostbusters, the, the cartoons. Oh, really? Wow. Cartoons. I did not know that. Yeah. Because once, once we were with Deke, whatever Deke was producing, if they had a need for us, they could just say, oh, come over to here and do this one, do some of this one, do some of that one, do another one. Um, and I had said to them one time that my mother's family is from Louisiana. They're Cajun, Cajun French. And um, for some reason, she, I don't know why I told her, but I did. And so she called me and she said, I have uh, an episode that takes place in New Orleans and there's a girl in it and she's Cajun. And I remembered that you said you can do your your your, your aunt's voice. And I said, yeah, I can do my aunt's voice. I said, <laughs> the, the thing is that it's not an attractive accent though. He, she's a beautiful girl. And I, she said, she's very sexy. I said, well, this accent is not sexy at all. It's not an attractive accent, but it's it's real. So that's how we started doing that. And then Brendan got called in to do an Irish cop because his family is from Ireland, and he just goes in and does his father, um, <laughs> and, and it's perfect. It's neat. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it breeds itself. Have there been any um, uh, voices that you've done that were... I'll call it copycats of something else. Like would we hear in your work, would we have heard maybe a trace of Vanessa or something else along the lines that's hiding out there? Oh, I'm sure that probably that sneaks in very frequently. I don't do it consciously, but uh, I'm sure it sneaks in there because those are all, they're all swimming around. The only conscious one I ever did was I, I had an audition for something and they said, we want sort of a Lauren Bacall voice. And I thought, then why did you call me in? Because I don't have a Lauren to call in voice. <laughs> so before I went in to read, I went down here somewhere. And that may have been a little bit of Vanessa. And I thought, it's the closest I can get to Lauren Bacall. Um, and I got a call back on it. So I thought, well, maybe I, maybe <laughs> Vanessa sounds like Lauren Bacall. I don't know. Um, didn't get Didn't get the commercial, but I got a call back out of it. So it told me that... If you drop it, drop it way down. You know, it 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 might work, uh, but yeah, that's probably a little bit of Vanessa. Good, not good. much, not much of Gloria. Right, right. <laughs> not the cat. <laughs> you know, you got to dig deep for a cuckoo clock. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and that's got to sound right from the first. And there, as as Brendan told you, they're moving like this. You can't. You say, "Oh, can I do that over?" No, that was good. That's fine. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Always. It's it's neat to hear, because you know I I know that voice acting and and just the production of it has changed so much. Where you're, you know, back in the '80s and and probably '90s, where you had that interaction yep. with everybody around the round table, and now it's just more one on one. You're looking at a screen and. All right, this is what happens, and you go on to the next thing. Where, you know, I I don't know. I I think that experience that you guys had is was much more 
uh, lasting, I guess you would say, than just staring at a screen and you're the only one in there and you don't even talk to anybody else, you know. You're closer to your uh, material now. Right. Uh, oh, and, and, and as a result, you're, you're losing, you lose it more than you gain. I, I had a, a, I was surprised because I, I, I usually memorize, but I did a job a year ago and they handed me this very complicated script, but it was on an iPad. And it was rolling you know, like this yeah, on the yeah, iPad. Uh, and I said, I can't do this. I'm a paper person. They said, we don't have it on paper. I said, okay, then put it up on the screen there. Because I had a screen. They put it up on the screen. But I thought, don't give me an iPad. and have Because I'll roll too fast or I'll roll not fast enough. And it throws off my rhythm here. And, right, right. and that's one of the things that I find um, frustrating. Is that you have people who call you in to do a job and they don't know what the job is. They don't know what it takes to do the job. They don't know that you need a glass of water. They don't know... Uh, that you need for me, I need to have a sock over a windsock over the the microphone because I'm a pee popper. Um, and if they ha if they think about what the actor needs, they'll have everything available there for you. But right, right. they don't know, and that's because so many of them are so young now. They just don't know. They used to be a secretary. They've now moved up to casting or producing or whatever. Um, and they don't know what it takes to make the to get the job done, but um, but I'm thrilled that I don't have to worry about the donut hole anymore. <laughs> All done. I'm finished <laughs> for sure. Yeah, we both have a, a short career in in radio. So, you know, when I was in college, I actually have a radio broadcasting degree that, that I've never used, but. Um, I, we were on the cusp of the digital era, so when Wyatt and I were actually working at our our hometown radio station, you know, we were used to those trying to fill in those holes. And, uh huh. Uh, you had the uh, the uh, the manager calling you up in the middle of the night. That that commercial wasn't tight enough. Come on, you know, I, there was five seconds of dead air in there, and we know all about that, all about that kind of you know details and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um working back then but yeah it, the whole game has changed now so but don't you think it's valuable that you had that experience oh, oh yeah, yeah yeah it gave you an ear and i'm sure you can attest to this it gives it gives me an ear even just when we're producing the podcast here of kind of shuring everything together and uh you just have an ear for what it should sound like rather than uh, just uh, let me cut out an um here and an um here and what we do with the or what I do with the um, the episode reviews is Wyatt and I essentially do a play by play of the whole episode and then I'll throw in a clip of uh, the actual character talking mm -hmm. uh, you know and uh, well obviously I, since I produce it I think it sounds good but uh, we've had several comp uh, compliments on that and it's just fun to to be able to do that now, obviously it's a lot easier. You can do it over the web and you can, you've got all this digital equipment now, but I don't know. There's still something about that, that manual process that we went through back then, uh, to get everything. It, it's almost like compartmentalized, you know, like you were alluding to before and it gets that in your brain. So you can, you almost hear it before you, put it all together that um and i anyway and I, was now DJing for, I was djing for some time uh, uh up until i'd say the last 
three years or so. And a lot of the basics I learned from DJing were literally from our radio station that, that we worked at. Um, I, I have an automated player. I can let it play for me. Mm-hmm. I use it for restroom breaks or to double check the sound levels when I'm working the crowd. But most of the time I love the CD, the actual CD player, single CD player and being able to start the next song at the right beat or the right level and making it flow instead of that typical there's dead air, just like you're listening to a, a mm-hmm. I, I was going to say a tape, but an iPod or, or uh, <laughs> uh, whatever MP3 player nowadays where there's still that two or three second delay, that kind of thing. It's uh, WKRP in Cincinnati. That's it. <laughs> Johnny Fever. <laughs> I Never. like that part too. I, I like hearing that sound of woo-hoo-hoo before, before it starts. If they're you ready to get back and forth? I like that. So, yeah, I think we've lost a lot. We've gained a lot, but I think we've lost some of the some of the meat um, that I wouldn't mind seeing. The only thing I don't want again is that donut hole. But everything else, <laughs> everything else would be fine. Um, well, it's hilarious because I listen to radio stations often, uh, typically talk shows now. But I don't know how many times I'm sitting there. In my own mind, I'm hearing the station manager calling me up already saying, there's three seconds of dead air. What's going on? I'm going to fire you. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there going, spitting it out sometimes either in my head or even just verbally. I did the same thing. Will, saying, are you, you know, this radio station, this DJ just got fired. There's 10 seconds of dead air. And here it's all just automation. The automation is t- kicked in and they've not programmed it correctly or it had a glitch or uh, the yeah. board op, if he happens to be there, happened to hit the wrong button. Now it's flipped out. So it's um, it's amazing what you notice, especially when you were at when you were taught on a different mechanism or even from a different um, station manager that was a little more strict. In fact, I worked at a second radio station, and that that station manager couldn't couldn't um, keep me employed. Basically. Um, what I mean by that is he wanted to, he wanted to, he was a mom and pop radio station that barely was staying afloat and he wanted to pay me more for what I knew from working just the one year at my hometown radio station because I was the only one that kind of had an idea of how to produce things. Basically. (laughs) Yeah. And, and their, their broadcasters, their people were just, uh, they were haphazard. I kept sitting there shaking my head going, man, uh, if I were at the other radio station or if I were the station manager, this guy would be already gone or he'd, he'd get remedial training, something. <laughs> so it was it was just uh, it was humbling in that regard because station managers saw, saw the value that the previous radio station had for me. But uh, I've, I've just kept it with me all these years. Even, even when the... Um, the only time I DJ now seems to be for church venues anymore. Even when I do that, I still get people coming up to me going, man, do you do this for professionally or something? And I'll say, well, I'm semi-retired. <laughs> my, my military career is unfortunately more more pressing as well as now I'm a family man. So it's, it's a little more difficult to get out and do uh, events like I used to. But uh it was, aren't, you, aren't you having a great time with Jason though, doing these podcasts? Oh, this oh, yeah. this is. I wish we could do this full time and get paid for it. <laughs> full time, um, and it's this is fun. Uh, we, uh, I joke when we do the 
episodes we have a blast and that's exactly it's just awesome and now it's even better that's probably not the right even the best descriptor of it but it, it's uh, humbling unique surreal a better word for it that we are talking with our voice actors that we grew up with i said it with our interview with doug that we would have never fathomed 30 years ago when we were nine or ten years old that we would one have the technology that we have today and two be able to use it and just uh, essentially call you up on skype and say hey sure nice to meet you <laughs> hey, I know you wish gloria and vanessa i remember you yes of course yeah. it's <laughs> It brings it all to you. All you have to do is call for it, and it just brings it right to you. That's, I find that amazing that we can do that. Um, and, and speaking of, of, dare, speaking of dead air, um, I, there was an uh, uh, um, audio books. It's called Audio Lark, I believe is the company name. Uh, I did, uh, I narrated six of their what they called their erotic books. Turned out that when I got the first script, I, Brendan was my my um, sound engineer. Mm -hmm. So he's sitting here doing, making sure that the sound is okay and everything. And he kept saying to me, you, you, you look, look at all this dead, you, you, when you're looking at it on the MP3, you can see, Robert. And he's saying, right, right. you got to tighten this up, tighten this up, tighten this up. you got to do that again. you got to come at the same level. You missed a level there because you went to get a drink of water or something like that. It was very, very helpful. But it gave me a new understanding of what the engineering is like. And I think if actors and engineers each knew what the other person's uh, um arc was that he has to follow that he has to get to get the job done um i think the the product would be better faster mm -hmm. definitely better and definitely faster um but we don't know you know it's right. we just figure okay he does what he does and i do what i do and um but it really helped me having an actor who was also my engineer because he could he could run me through things uh, but most essentially, he could tighten up all those places. But what I realized, and you, you both know this, is that if you left the room and came back, you may be starting this second bit at a level that was different from the level that you were going into it with. You got to go back. You got to go back and hit that wherever that was. Um, and I don't know if that's something you can correct. You know, and the, the sound engineer can even correct. I think the actor has to come back and hit it. And that goes back to what I was saying before about uh, where, what pitch was the um, was the computer on the on the right? And I have to hit that same pitch again, but I'd get playback for that. So those are all things that become big issues, and you wouldn't think so. Right. Well, Wyatt, should we let her go? <laughs> Well, you promised. You promised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. We did, but uh, it's been a, a real pleasure, real treat, uh, to have you and and Brennan come on. Wish we could do this more often. In fact, Jason and I <laughs> joked uh, we were trying like crazy to see if we could pull off a, a like a big, I'll call it a big surprise for our mask fans by doing having all the voice actors come in whether via Skype or we've been using uh, a, a newer product called Hangouts, Hangouts yeah. mm -hmm. where we can, it's just exactly like this, uh, except that it, uh, it produces it as a live feed as we're producing it. Ah, uh -huh. 
and uh, it would be it was going to be my envision and and Jason had a little bit different view. I, was, I wanted to do like a big surprise, just give give our fans a little email saying, you do not want to miss this episode, you will not regret it, mm-hmm. leave it at, and then have as many as we could, uh, you, uh, Doug, Brennan, uh, Graham, if we could get him, Mark Hollering, and mm-hmm. just open it up and go, hey, I'm Matt Tracker, hey, I play Gloria, and this one big and... I almost wanted to be able to turn the camera on, uh, like the audience, and go. Oh, we get to see magic people. So. Well, um, I can tell you this: if you did that, all hell would break loose. <laughs> you get all these guys together in one room, and you can't stop them. They take off. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm all, all yeah. for that. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. You'd have to you'd have to get a stick and say, "Shut up now." He's talking, and the, the jokes would be flying, and all the dirty remarks would be flying. But it'd be fun. It would be great oh, yeah. fun. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe we got a screener then, Wyatt. Uh, <laughs> Sharon's the screener. There we yeah. go. <laughs> I can't stop them though. Cut the once feed. they get Cut going. The feed. <laughs> Um, well, then, so shall I shall I ask uh, Mark if he'd be interested in getting in touch with you guys? Please, yes. Okay. Um, I've like I said, I messaged him a couple times on Facebook. He said he was open to it. Um, we just haven't really set up a time, but um, uh, maybe a nudge from you would be uh, okay. great. <laughs> yeah, we're we're, we're due to have lunch uh, whenever I can get a time. But in the meantime, I'll just I'll just uh, I'll chat with him. And okay. yeah, he does. He's he's. He his his schedule is erratic, um, but I'm sure he'd love to do this, and he could do all of his voices for you, and he would do it happily. Everyone he ever did, yeah. Well, you know, you know, Sly Rex, of course. That's oh, yeah. Jack Nicholson, right? Yeah. And when we first started doing it, Marcia said, oh, "We may have we may have a copyright problem here. I don't know. We'll have to chance it and see." And uh-huh. as it turned out, there was never a problem. <laughs> but he he would do it for you. And and when right. when you see him, when you chat with him, ask him to do William Shatner. That should be awesome. Well, I'll I'll write it down yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> and his miles mayhem. And his miles may yeah. yes, his miles mayhem. Yeah. <laughs> the price has gone up. <laughs> <laughs> I did find one time in one episode I was listening to myself and I heard Vanessa and I thought, she no, she sounded like Miles Mayhem there. Because instead of, instead of speaking in a deep, silky voice like this, she was getting a little rough like that. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, we don't. We want to back off because she's, she's one of those that, that, that kills you with a hairpin, you know, um, and, then, and then says, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but it's just the fact that we work together and it sort of begins to rub off on each other. Uh, yeah, but you'll have a great time with them. Uh, and if you ever want everybody together and you can pull it off, let us know. <laughs> we will. We'll try. Excellent. Because <laughs> we'll always have our computer. True. <laughs> so will we. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay, Wyatt, well, you, let's, uh, I guess let's go ahead and wrap it up. And again, we just, we thank you for your time. And um, You're absolutely welcome. Uh, it was, it was a real blast, as Wyatt always says, uh, chatting and all your insight. Uh, I mean, I, it's amazing to me that we can remember, you know, watching the show, and again, it's amazing that um, the show was that impactful that you guys can just basically jog your memory yeah. years later. And 
uh, it seems like it was yesterday. It does. But, um, it seems it, it seems about ten years ago, to me. Yeah. It's about ten years ago, something like yeah, maybe a little, maybe a little less, but about ten. And it's not. It's thirty. Right. And, and right. I remember when I was a kid hearing my parents say, "Well, you know, twenty years ago," and I thought, twenty years ago? That's that's forever. That's <laughs> such a long time." And now thirty years has passed, and it seems like ten. So, uh, I guess that that's how our lives go. So. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this. Call me if you need me. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. Thank you again. You're and uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and, uh, and sign off. Um, uh, we appreciate everybody listening. And, of course, for Sharon and Brennan to, uh, to come on and uh, give their memories and, and everything they have tonight. It was a real treat. And thank you, Sharon, very much for, for being on the, our mass cast. Please uh, extend that to Brennan. Uh, okay. Mr. Mount Mayhem himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yes, thank you all for listening to MassCast.